0: I'll read the verse out of James that we looked at uh, last time in the beginning. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. It's been hard for me to know how to deal with the book of Job there's so much in it and it's big and uh, the concepts are so important um, that it's just been hard to know how to approach <clears throat> presenting uh, the material so if things seem a little scattered that's that's the reason uh, maybe as we go along it'll start to come together a, l- a little bit better I hope so. Well, let's pray. Father, we ask for your help here. I ask for your help in presenting what you've given me, and we all need your help in receiving your truth, especially in this area of suffering. These things are are, uh, difficult to understand and even more difficult to experience. So we ask that you would teach us something here tonight that would help us in this world where there's so much need of endurance and patience. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we began last week to look at this book of Job and the subject of suffering, especially suffering in relationship to a believer's life. And one of the things that uh, I tried to present was just the idea that a superficial view of God and truth is not going to see us through the sufferings and difficulties that life brings. Fact is, we live in a world of death and disease, uh, depression, many discouragements, And unexplained difficulties and we need a view of God that's sufficient to see us through those type of things and so I think that's part of the reason God put this book of Job in the scriptures because we have a man who suffered more than what we can almost comprehend when we read what he went through and God used it in his life and I think is giving us an example and teaching us through his life. So here was Job, a righteous man, uh, called that by God, blameless. Called, I mean, that's one thing for me to say I'm that way or for me to say you're that way, but for God to say that about us, that's significant. And that's what God said. He was a righteous man, and yet he was put through extreme trials, extreme difficulties. He was stripped of all that people look to as blessings in this life. Physically, emotionally, and even spiritually, he was undone. He was, he was consumed, uh, stripped of everything but God. And even that, in his own mind, he was not clear on how to understand what God was doing. Wealth, family, family, Health were all taken from him, and even his wife told him her counsel was in this kind of a situation what can what can you do? why don't you just curse God and die? and as we saw, that was exactly what Satan would want her to say um, because that 's what he said job would do if God would uh, allow Satan to take all these things away he said. He'll just curse you. You know, what, what we need to see in this book of Job is, is that Satan wasn't done just after Job made those good confessions in the beginning chapters where he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, we kind of, you know, we don't hear anymore about Satan in all these chapters talking about uh, the interaction with, with his friends. But the fact is, Satan was still at work. In fact, he was working, trying to work through his very friends. And in other ways, I'll bring some of those out uh, later on here. But here was his own wife giving a little satanic counsel to him. Curse God and die. Well, that's pretty much where we left off last time. His three friends come to visit and remained silent for a long time, uh, a week. And I think that was most likely because they were so overwhelmed with the sight of Job when they saw him that said they didn't even recognize him. They were so overwhelmed with the sight of of this man who once was a great man, greatest of all the men of the East, it says, a great man, a renowned man, and yet they couldn't even recognize him. Here he was, emaciated, exhausted, and depressed, and covered with boils from head to toe. Where would they find him? Well, I think, from what I can tell, he was sitting in the ashes, which was probably the city dump, scraping himself with some of the, the pottery, the bits of pot, broken pottery that were there in, the, in this dump. What a, I mean, what a exchange from what he was at one time to now sitting there totally discouraged and a broken man. I would say he was depressed. I mean, if you look, I looked up some of the signs of depression and he fits. He was a depressed person at this point. They saw that his pain was very great and probably didn't say anything, partly because they just didn't know what to say. But eventually, Job breaks the silence. And how does he break the silence? Was it a a acclamation of triumph in difficulty? No. He says, I wish I was dead. I wish I'd never been born. Now, there's a real change, you see, from the attitude that you see that's so triumphant uh, when he's first uh, told of some of these things to now in this situation. Let's just... uh, We won't read all of this. We read a little of it last time. Chapter 3, verse 1. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And it goes through a number of things, but let's just pick up the account in... Verse 11. And I want you to look for... I'm looking for one word here that comes out uh, five or six times. Why did I not die at birth? Chapter 3, verse 11. Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? And why the breast that I should suck? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then. I would have been at rest. In other words... You know if I just died right when I was born i, I wouldn't have gone I wouldn't be going through all this with kings and with councils of the earth who rebuild ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold, who are filling their houses with silver who were filling their houses with silver, or like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be as infants that never saw the light. He says I'd be just like you know a, a, a baby that Uh, died in the womb, or some rich man that died, uh, some ruler that died, they're all dead, they're gone, they're not suffering, Uh, here I am suffering. There the wicked cease from raging, and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together, and they do not hear the voice of the taskmaster, the small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master." why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul who longs for death but there is none so he's saying I'm lo- I'm longing to die and dig for it more than the uh, hidden treasure who rejoice gla- greatly they they exult when they find the grave why is light given to a man whose way is hidden in, uh, and whom God has hedged in for my groaning comes at the sight of food he, you know he didn't didn't even want to eat and my cries pour out like water for what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me I am not at ease nor am I quiet and I am not at rest but turmoil comes now I read that for a couple reasons but one Mm -hmm. there's a word that comes out over and over in there anybody notice it why why That question plagued him. Why is this happening to me? What's going on? I don't understand how this can possibly be right. So here is a despairing, broken man wanting to die so that his misery would be over. I say that this is a... a, a Good example of what the book of Proverbs talks about in uh, chapter eighteen verse fourteen, where it talks about a broken spirit. Here was a man who was broken down on the deepest level. Proverbs eighteen fourteen. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness. Job had definite sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear? This man was broken down on the deepest levels of his soul and his heart. So that's the first thing. We see a man that now is in in the position of saying, why? That wasn't the case before. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But as time went on, as things got worse, he got worse down deep in his soul. That's the first thing I want to point out from this section right here in chapter 3. The next thing that i think we need to realize if we're going to understand this book properly is that at this stage in revelation you know revelation is progressive god deals with with us in terms of what we can receive at the time down through history and at this stage in revelation revelation the understanding of life after death was not very clear you can see that in this section uh it's like if i could just die that would put the end to everything just the way it does with everybody else so i want to i want to i think it's important to emphasize as we re- read through the book of job that we remember this is a, a, a beginning stage of the revelation that god has given to man you know we don't know exactly when job was written or what time period it deals with uh, it seems to be pretty early because of his age. You, uh, you'll see later on that he lived 140 years after all of this took place. So the fact that he had 10 kids, and if you kind of compute how long that would take, and the kids were old enough to have their own homes, I'd say he was probably close to being 200 years old when he died. So that's, that puts it back in the time... When people were living longer, at least you know, at the time of Abraham, and maybe prior, a little bit prior to that. So what I'm what I'm saying is, is that um, here was a man that, in some ways, was groping around to try to find answers to things that we have answers to now, as Christians. But Job and his friends did not have the New Testament perspective on life and death and heaven and hell. That we have now, for instance, Job's overall view of suffering is certainly not the same as Paul's in the New Testament. You remember, Paul said in Romans 8:18, 8, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us." You don't see anything like that in the Book of Job. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 4:16 wherefore we do not lose heart the fact is job was losing heart but paul says we do not lose heart though our outer man is decaying job's outer man was decaying but we and he was losing heart paul says we don't lose heart though our our outer man is decaying decaying our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentarily Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension, while we look at the things which are well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He did not have that eternal perspective that the New Testament gives us, and neither did his friends we just do not find, if you'll search through the book of Job and not find that. He wanted God to vindicate him in this life. And if that was not to be the case, then just take him out of this life. That's basically what Job was saying. Show the truth about why this is happening or just kill me. Don't let me suffer anymore. Job even asked the question later on in 1414 if a man dies, will he live again? Well, that's not a New Testament question. That's a question for a man in a different stage of revelation. Now, it's just we have to read the book of Job in that light, or there's things we won't understand. He, just, he did not have the historical reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ who brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Job didn't have that. In one sense, he was groping, searching around, trying to find some answers. Though, now, and this is, you got to keep this balanced here because it also appears that God on occasion would give him some light, some revelation that was far beyond that time of what the state of general revelation was at that time. For instance, you know the famous verse, let's just turn to it, 1925. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will take His stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. So there's a, you know, there's a little glimmer in the midst of a lot of darkness in Job's uh, understanding of things uh, that definitely speaks more of a New Testament view of uh, reality and how to understand what was going on. But even that verse may not have meant for him what it now means for us because of our understanding of the New Testament. It's, just, it's important to keep that in mind. Anyway, I'm just saying all that, that we would remember the fact that the Bible is a progressive revelation. And at this stage, there's things that Job didn't understand or know that we do now by the grace of God. After his lament in chapter 3, where basically he's saying, I wished I'd never been born, his friend Eliphaz could keep silent no longer. He didn't like what he was hearing from Job. So he starts out somewhat sympathetically, but it doesn't take very long for him to begin to actually dig in to Job's life and do more harm than good. Let's read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? What's he saying? He's saying, well, Job, you've told others how to handle life. And now, when it comes to you having some difficulties, you're not doing what you said. You're not practicing what you preached. That's what, basically, he's saying. You're real good at telling others how to handle problems, but now some problems have come to you. Now, first of all, I I would say that I'm sure that uh, Job was helpful to many people because he was a righteous man, but I doubt if he ever dealt with anybody that was in the kind of situation he was in right now. So there's a little beginning here of uh, just an unsympathetic attitude by this friend, Eliphaz. And he says here at the end of that section, if you just renew your previous fear of God and integrity, all would be okay. So what's that imply? That implies you're, you're not really being honest here. You're not really living up to your own standards. And if you just do that, everything would be fine. Verse 7 is a key to the outlook of all of Job's friends. And so, let's just look at that. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed. What's he saying? He's saying, well, God's just. And because God is just, we know that what's happening to you must be just. And the idea there is that if bad things are happening to you, that means you must be a bad person because God's just. He does good for those that are good and bad for those that are bad. So what what he's doing there is starting from a, a true premise that God's just. We know God's just. But he extrapolates from that to uh, an unclear, or I would say wrong, conclusion and that is if god's just then you must be unrighteous because of what we see you suffering here now how did he where did he get his concepts about god and justice and how god deals with people well here's here's one of the problems with the council of eliphaz verse 8 according to what i have seen those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. What's he saying? He's saying, according to my experience, I'm telling you what's right and wrong and how you should interpret this. In other words, he extrapolates from his limited experience and assumes that if so many bad things have happened to Job, it must be because he's done such bad things because that's that's the kind of thing i've seen before so that must be what's happening to you counseling solely on the basis of his personal experience he goes on and talks about that a little bit but then he backs up his position you know that if you're innocent you wouldn't be suffering he backs that up with another experience not just what he's observed out in the world but his experience of a dream so let's read that, uh, beginning with verse 12, and we'll read down through verse 21. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it, amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men. Falls on men. Dread came upon me, and trembling, and made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. Then there was silence. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mankind be just before God? Can man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. How much more than who, those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are cursed before the moth. Between morning and evening they are broken in pieces. Unobserved they perish forever. It is not their tent cord plucked up within them. They die, yet without wisdom. So what is, what is Eliphaz doing? He's taking two things. His, his personal experience of things in the world, And a dream that he's had. And he's using that to counsel Job in his distress. Does God sometimes speak through dreams? The answer is yes. God sometimes speaks through dreams. Are all dreams God speaking to us? The answer is no. Was this God speaking to Eliphaz something that he should share with Job? I think the answer is no. Just because he had the dream doesn't mean it applied to Job. Secondly, doesn't mean the dream was from God. In fact, and I I don't find this in a lot of commentaries, but I think this dream was from Satan. This was not God trying to show Eliphaz something to tell Job. It was Satan putting that in Eliphaz's mind to beat Job down with more and more you know dreams can dreams can be from god dreams can be from the devil dreams can be from indigestion i mean there's lots of sources of, of dreams but i think this one had a demonic origin let's just analyze it a little bit here what's the answer here this what what was said to eliphaz in this dream can mankind be just before god can a man be pure before his maker what's the answer to that no is it is not possible i mean job was a blameless man does he put no trust in his servants trusted job are are people unobserved do people just perish unobserved forever, perish forever? It's the end of verse 20. See, like many things that uh, Job's friends have to say and that come out in this book, there's a way of taking it that's right and there's a way of taking it that's wrong. And if if we are reading some of these things in terms of New Testament understanding will see it different than what it would have been seen by those who heard those things back then. What Eliphaz is communicating to Job here is that you can't be right with God. You say you are, but you can't be. And he got that from this dream. The idea of just perishing unobserved, that's kind of the way Job felt. He felt like God doesn't really care. Well, that was just playing in to an already beat down and discouraged person's conscience. He goes on in his accusations against Job. Let's read on here a little bit. It's hard to know how much to read of these, these sections. That's been part of my difficulty. But... Uh, New Testament says we're to give attention to the public reading of the scriptures. So I'm, I'm going to do, do, do a little more than normal here. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? Basically, he's saying there, nobody's going to listen to what you're saying, Job. Your views are wrong and nobody's going to listen. For vexation slays the foolish man and anger kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root. Here's another appeal to experience, and I cursed his abode immediately. Now here you start seeing something else coming from this Eliphaz. There's a pride. That there's an undercurrent of pride that begins to show itself here. I've seen the foolish take root. You know, I I know who's foolish and who isn't, and when I see it, I cursed his abode el- immediately. His abode immediately. You know, I got right in there and dealt with it. And then verse four, I think must have really. You know, it's it's just implied, but I think it must have really hurt Job. His sons are far from safety. He says, the foolish person, the unrighteous person, I, I, you know, I deal with them immediately. And I can tell you what happens. His sons are far from safety. What do you think that meant to Job? I'll tell you what it meant. I'm responsible for the fact that my children are dead because of my, my sin, you see. That's, what, that's what's implied in what Eliphaz is saying here. You're responsible for the death of those ten children because of your, your sin. They are even oppressed in the gate. Neither is there a deliverer. His harvest, the hungry devourer. He's talking about the evil person, you see, the unrighteous. And take it to the place of thorns. And the schemer is eager for their wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, neither does trouble sprout from the ground. For a man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. But as for me, now now you really see the pride coming through. But as for me, I would seek God. I would place my cause before God. See what he's saying? He's saying, here's what I'd do if I was in your shoes. I'd be seeking God. Now there's two There's two presumptuous things there that come through in this pride uh, of this man, Eliphaz. Two, I think, very presumptuous things. First of all, he thinks he knows what he would do in that situation. I'd seek God. Well, you don't know what you do in that situation, and no man knows. The other presumption is that it just is implied, you're not seeking God. I'd seek God. What are you doing? There is this arrogance that begins to come through in the council of Eliphaz. And I can I, we won't be able to get into it tonight. But Eliphaz is actually one of the better of the three. It gets worse as you read on what they were laying upon Job. But as for me, I would seek God and I would place my cause before God. And then he couches all of this, and this is what makes it hard, uh, especially hard for Job, because he couches all of it in very spiritual and truthful statements. In the midst of this pride and arrogance, he couches it in very religious, very true statements. And listen to what he says here. Who does great and unsearchable things. He's talking about God here. Who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth. He sends water on the fields so that he sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd so that their hands cannot attain success. He captures the wise in their own shrewdness. Now right there, that that verse is quoted in the New Testament. Think about that. It's a true statement he captures the wise in their own shrewdness and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted by day they meet with the dar- with darkness and grope at noon in- as in the night but he saves from the sword of the mouth he saves from the sword of their mouth and the poor from the hand of the mighty so the helpless has hope and the unrighteousness must shut its mouth here he is saying a bunch of things that are uh, very true. That's what makes it hard hard for Job. Because in the midst of a bunch of truth, there's, j- j- there's these other things that are interjected there that just beat Job down more. And he goes on and talks about the discipline of the Lord, uh, which is another subject that's brought up in the New Testament. Um, we won't read all the way down through this, But basically, he said, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Well, that's true. We shouldn't despise the discipline of the Almighty. Let's skip down then to verse 27. Behold, behold this. We have investigated, and thus it is. Hear it and know for yourself. In other words, again, as he's appealing to the fact that we know what we're talking about. We've, we've investigated. We've seen it. According to our experience, what we're telling you is the truth. This is right. And you better listen to us. We've investigated it. So listen to what we've said. Basically, he's saying, we know how God works, and he does not treat the righteous like you're being treated. So you must be wrong. You must be guilty of sin. Well, I think that's as far as we'll try to go tonight. But just a few questions here. I actually have a bunch of questions for you on a sheet that uh, I'm going to hand out. This is called, this is what I call it, these are thought provokers. I want you to think about this because this book, uh, is If if you just read it over quickly, you're going to miss what it's all about. And it's, it's dealing with some of the deepest, hardest things that we'll, we'll be called uh, to understand in this life. So I want us to, you know, dig in deeper than just a superficial reading. Uh, well, just this thing, we didn't read this section, but... Uh, the counsel that behold how happy is the man whom God reproves so do not despise the discipline of the almighty for he inflicts pain and gives relief he wounds and his hands also heal he goes on and talks about that so is that a true statement yes that's a true statement we shouldn't despise the discipline of the Lord Um, is it true that God disciplines his people Because of sin. Yes, that's true. Is what was going on in Job's life the discipline of the Lord? Now, that's a little harder to answer. There's a way of saying yes, and there's a way of saying no to that. Was he suffering because of sin, or was he suffering because he was righteous? Well, that's the kind of questions that are on this sheet. And uh, what I'd like to do is spend a little time next time talking about some of these. So that is, I say that to make sure that you understand you're supposed to read this and think about it. <laughs> well, before I hand them out, just a couple of things here. In relationship to, we said we were going to talk about ways not to counsel people and we just barely touched on it a little bit this this evening, there's so much more of that that will come out later but we need to be careful about this any pride that's there in our um, interacting with others is going to be detrimental to any counsel we'd have for them if we have any idea that we couldn't get ourselves in the position they're in because of some superior uh, righteousness that we have, we're in bad shape. We're not going to be able to give very good counsel. Uh, So beware of pride in dealing with others. The other thing that came out here is our experience is not sufficient authority to use as a basis for telling others what's right and wrong in their life. We're going to have to have something a lot more solid than that. And, of course, that's the Word of God. In closing, let me say this. It is possible, and we see this in the the book of Job, that Satan and God intend the same suffering for entirely different purposes. Satan and God intend the same suffering for entirely different purposes. God's purposes are always good. Satan's purposes are always evil. But God's purposes always triumph. That's the encouraging part to remember.